0: On this episode of Blue 58, we finally reached the end of the Packers' 2018 season. What did we learn from taking a second look at every game? Well, it's not good, but maybe there's hope for the future. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast the thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. happy to be with you here yet again. Pretty rainy here in northwest Ohio, so a good time to uh, just sit inside and talk about a little Packers football, shall we? Let's do that. We're going to dive right into games 15 and 16 of the Packers 2018 season because I want to talk about these games and then talk about what we've learned uh, by taking a look at each of these games. Um, And then we're really ready to start transitioning, I think, into into the full offseason. I think it's worthwhile to take a little break here and, and, and look back before we look ahead. But free agency, the combine, that's all coming up. So it's time to start diving into that as well. But before we get to the the forward-looking stuff, we do have to take a look back. So one last time, why do this? Why take a look back at each of these games? Well, we can tease out the truth of the narrative that we saw in 2018. We might learn some things that we had forgotten about. We might, might, might remember them a little bit and add a second look. And it helps us just plainly to remember who did what and when. So how do we do this? Well, we take a look at three different questions. What led up to a game? What happened in the game? And how should we remember that game in particular? The 15th game of the 2018 Packers season saw the Packers traveling to New York to take on the Jets. December 23rd, in fact, 2018, just a couple days before Christmas. And I guess, if you're looking for a Christmas present, this was something of a fun late season gem. What led up to this game? Well, the Packers made a couple moves on the bottom end of the roster. They signed Capri Bibbs and Alan Lazard. Both of these guys end up playing in 2018, but you can't say the same for Kendall Donerson, who is on the active roster at this point, but still is not getting a shot to play. I think it's interesting to take a look at these guys late in the season and see what their outlook might be for next year, because sometimes guys come in and you just need them to get you to the end of the season. Other times, it's kind of almost like the preseason and i think the packers have one of those one of each of those guys here for lazard i think maybe he gets another look through this off season and into the training camp regular season or preseason excuse me phase of the year he can always use another big bodied receiver type and if you recall from when we talked about him being signed by the packers the packers had talked to him at the combine about potentially playing tight end they didn't end up Putting him there this season, it's not clear what they think of him going forward, although having him as a receiver probably is a pretty good indication. But he's a big dude. It's not outside the realm of possibility. Capri Bibbs, on the other hand, well, I mean, he's shown he can play at the NFL level, but not like play play. He could do the things that you need from an NFL running back, but it wasn't spectacular. It's interesting that he was able to play at the level he did, being in Green Bay for the limited time that he was. But I think he could probably do better, and he could probably have a little bit more long-term control if you pick up a a player um, either in the draft or just sign a guy who you like a little bit better than Capri Bibbs. Also leading up to this Jets game, we were talking substantively substantively about coaching candidates. And one of the reasons we really wanted to lean into this coaching search and all of the the candidates out there, all the people that – People were talking about it so we could look back in situations like this and one year, two years, five years from now talk about, hey, this is who people wanted at the time. To that point, we ran a poll on each of the the guys that we profiled as we profiled them just so we could get a gauge of what we repeat, uh, what people were thinking. At this point, here were the top six vote getters in our poll. The question was, would you approve of this person as the next head coach of the Packers. Lincoln Riley was the top vote-getter with 76% approval. Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, was next at 56%. Right after him was Josh McDaniels at 53 Vic Fangio was at 45 Cliff Kingsbury was at 38%. And tied with him was David Shaw of Stanford at 38%. Not on the radar at all at this point, Matt LaFleur, who we would wait a couple weeks to profile. But um, he was on our radar as a name at this point, but that was it. I thought he was a long shot candidate and he ended up getting the job. Take that however you will. We also had some substantive talk about sitting Aaron Rodgers down because after the Bears loss, you can stop pretending that there's anything meaningful happening for the Packers in 2018. I mean, as a factual matter that was done a long time before then. Well, I, I guess it wasn't factual because they're you know, they may have been theoretically in the hunt at some points, but the Bears game ended things once and for all. In hindsight, I think I'm guilty of really overthinking this and probably wrongly. Um, just flat out wrong on starter sit Aaron Rodgers. Really kind of a heart thing, not a head thing. The visceral reaction, I guess When I talk about, when I think about my defense of the Packers playing Rodgers or or arguing the position that they should play Rodgers, to me that's just a reaction to any sort of suggestion that the Packers or any team try to lose games on purpose. But I don't think that's what this is about. I I think you can help your team by sitting guys that, are not, that are not needed in 2018 anymore, but are going to play a significant role in 2019 as a way of helping your 2019 team, not trying to necessarily lose games, right? I think that was the argument that a lot of people made. It wasn't swayed by it at the time. In hindsight, it makes a little bit more sense. Rogers probably should have been sitting, and a few other players sh- probably should have been sitting as well. Not because you're trying to get better draft position, but because it's better for the team. Draft position really isn't the question here. It's, it's all the other stuff, uh, trying to avoid injury and all, all stuff like that. So we arrive at the actual game. What happened in this Packers-Jets game? Well, it looked like two teams, even judging by the box score, just looking back and, and looking at the box score, this looks like two teams with very little to play for. It also al- almost becomes like a glorified Pro Bowl. It's not like the teams weren't playing hard. I don't want to imply that because I think just looking back at at some of the ways that guys were playing is pretty evident. Devontae Adams was giving it his all in this game, but it looked like a game between two teams that knew that whatever happened didn't really matter in anything other than a theoretical sense because that's even what draft position is. That's theoretically improving your posi- your your team because just because you have good draft position doesn't mean you're going to get a good player. Plenty of teams screwed up the number one overall pick if you look back at that over the years. So just being higher up in the draft is not necessarily a good thing for you. On that note about this being the glorified pro Bowl type game, 90 combined passing attempts between these two teams, almost 800 yards through the airs and five through the air and five touchdowns. Those are pro Bowl type numbers. The Packers had five players in this game with 60 or more receiving yards. I look back a decade. I couldn't find any other game where they had that many players with that many yards. One of those players was Equinemius St. Brown, who finished fairly strong this season. He had five catches for 94 yards. It was easily his best game of the year, also his last game of the year. Jamal Williams probably gets the prize for the best individual effort in this game. He carried 19 times for 95 yards and a touchdown, His best rushing total of the season by almost 40 yards. He also had six catches for 61 yards, also a season high. Jake Kumaro finally got on the field, too, for some extensive reps. And he had a big touchdown, which was pretty cool to see, especially after the long wait we had to see him in games. I almost said games that mattered. This one didn't. Games that counted against your record. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, the Packers' defense played like it was made entirely out of spare parts, which at this point in the season, it was. Robbie Anderson of the Jets had a season-high nine catches for a season-high 140 yards. You should probably never let a guy who has like 740 yards on the season go for 140 against you. Four Jets players had 50 or more receiving yards in this game, and more importantly, four Jets players had at least one catch of 20 yards or more. You can't give up that many big plays, even in a week 16 game, that doesn't matter. But worst of all was probably the special teams. In a season where there were numerous poor special teams performances, this might have been the worst of all, right up there probably with the Detroit game. They didn't have as many missed kicks, but they gave up a kick return for a touchdown, another big return late that set up a game-tying score, a big punt return, and another big punt return that was called back. And to cap it all off, they lined up offside on a PAT. That just should not happen. Ultimately, though, the Packers get it together. They win 44-38 in overtime on an exciting Aaron Rodgers pass to Devontae Adams. Okay, it's a win. But how should we remember this game? Well, if somebody told you in July that the Packers would win a 44-38 game in overtime late in the season, you probably would be thrilled. I know I would have because that just seems like the sort of game that is going to matter a whole lot. There's probably going to be some high stakes. There's probably going to be some big performances by some of your favorite players. But all that this game really was is the game that pushes the Packers to six wins for really no reason. And I don't want to be the guy that sits there and gets bent out of shape about draft position because of, you know, partly some of the things I said earlier. Just being higher up in the draft doesn't necessarily mean anything at all. But it looks like the Packers would have been at eighth overall had they not won this game. It's tough to say that they wouldn't have beaten the Falcons anyway, even if they were sitting a bunch of players because the Falcons played really terrible and the Packers played really well. So I don't want to take two wins away and knock them down to four, but this one probably should have been a loss, and it could have been even with the Packers playing the way that they did. But if you're a person who's inclined to look for things to get mad about, which I think we're all guilty of from time to time— Look at who gets drafted from 8 through 11 this spring and think about them on the Packers. Nothing we can do about it now, but if a couple of things had gone differently back then, you know, things would have been a little bit different, obviously. Game seven or game 16, week 17, we're at the end, the bitter end of the 2018 season. And boy, is it a bitter end as the Packers host the Lions at Lambeau Field. December 30th, 2018, the very, very final days of 2018. What a year it was. What led up to this game? The Packers signed Evan Bayless to the practice squad, a tight end. Probably just a guy, but you never know. It's worth keeping these guys around to take a look at them. For all the reasons we said leading up to the Jets game, we also got word around this time that the Packers are going to talk with Jim Caldwell and Chuck Pagano in their head coaching interview. Interesting stuff. And those guys will be interesting footnotes in their own right as we look back on this Packers coaching surf- search ultimately. Also this week, the Packers finally waived Kyle Murphy, who'd been sticking around on injured reserve for virtually the entire season even though it was initially reported he'd been cut rather than moved to injured reserve. It happens from time to time. Also, and finally, Devontae Adams was ruled out for the final game of the season, meaning that he wouldn't break the Packers receiving records that he was gunning for. Still, ultimately a very good season for him. What actually happens in this Packers-Lions game? Honestly, who even cares? It's 31 to nothing, the final score, it's the 9 in the 6-9-1 disappointment that was 2018. It is a game that hopefully a year from now we're just looking back and saying, huh, remember when that happened? Well, sure is nice to have a week, or first-round bye in the playoffs because we wrapped up the number one seed in week 10 because we were 10-0 and 0 already. You know, stuff like that. Aaron Rodgers gets hurt early in this game. He leaves after the Packers' third drive. At that point, the Packers were already down 7-0. And looking at how they would performed the previous week, I'm... Not sure how much of a difference Aaron Rodgers really makes. Although he probably would have made more of a difference than Deshaun Kaiser, who in his really only extended action, and I know he played in week one, but that wasn't, that's two drives. How did he do? Well, it's not great. For everybody who was clamoring for the Packers to sit Rodgers so they could quote unquote see what they've got in Deshaun Kaiser, well, here's what they've got. 16 of 35 passing, 132 yards and a pick. Four runs for 40 yards. Drives that went like this. Nine plays, 26 yards. Six plays, 23 yards. Six plays for eight yards. Six plays for eight yards again. Three plays for nine yards. Nine plays for 48 yards. Eleven plays, 52 yards. No points. Three plays, six yards. That's eight drives and only one that averages more than five yards per play. That is the Deshaun Kaiser experience. When he's not throwing the ball directly to Khalil Mack, he's leading your offense to nowhere. Capri Bibbs got the ball four times in this game. Kyler Fackrell broke 10 sacks. Alan Lazard got a catch. Jamon Moore got a catch. And finally, we learned during this game that the Packers were going to formally request an interview with Northwestern University's Pat Fitzgerald. They didn't ultimately get that interview. It didn't ultimately matter because they hired Matt LaFleur anyway. It's interesting to think about whether or not the Packers would have offered Fitzgerald the job had he agreed to interview, if he'd even taken it, if he was even interesting in interviewing for the job. All of those footnotes in history now. So how do we remember this game? Well, hopefully and honestly, I would advise you to not remember it at all. Like I said up top, hopefully this is a game where a year from now or a year from December, we're looking back and saying, hey, remember how weird it was that we got shut out by the Lions 31 to nothing in the final game of 2018? Boy, that was weird. It sure is great to be looking forward to a bye heading into the playoffs here. I just want to resign this one to the scrap heap of history. This game seemed at the time like an add-on that nobody wanted and seems even more so now. It's just difficult to talk about and it doesn't matter at all. But now having completed this, having looked at all 16 games for a second time, what did we learn? What did we learn about the 2018 Packers? Taking a second extended look at all of this. Well, first, I think the writing was on the wall a lot earlier than I, for one, would have liked to believe, and I think a lot of other people too. I think a lot earlier in this entire experience, we should have known that there were two things that were true pretty early on. First, that the Packers were not good. And second, the Packers were not going to get better. Number one should probably have been pretty obvious by about week five, maybe as early as week three. In week five, after week five, after they lost that embarrassing game to the Lions, the Packers were two two and one and their two wins were a miracle comeback against the Bears in week one, and a win against a rookie quarterback who probably should have been starting anyway, but they didn't have anybody else to play, so the Bills get Josh Allen. Plus they drafted him high, and what are you gonna do? You gotta play your rookie quarterbacks. Then they've got the tie against the Lions, or against the Vikings, which they you know probably didn't deserve either. Yes, I know they got robbed there, but you know, if you have to really parse refereeing decisions late in the game to justify a tie, man, I'm not sure that's the hill you want to be dying on anyway. So we should have known pretty early that the Packers wouldn't weren't any good. Or at least weren't playing well, or or maybe were just a bad team. But even if your team is bad early in the season, sometimes they turn out to be pretty good down the stretch. You can point to the Patriots here. I mean, they just won their 45th Super Bowl, uh, and they looked pretty bad early in the season. For most of the season, probably the first two-thirds to three-quarters of the season. They were not the Patriots that they always are, always seem to be. But they got better. They figured it out. And they played for the playoffs like they always do and were good at the right time. The Packers weren't good at any time. But to a point, you can convince yourself that, yeah, maybe my team is playing bad right now, but they can play better. But at a certain point, you need to come with come to terms with the idea that your team isn't going to get better. And for me, and I think quite a few people, that point was later than it should have been for the Packers. We probably shouldn't have held out past that Rams game for the Packers to turn things around. Any hope that we gleaned from that Rams game was false hope, I think, in hindsight. I mean, at the time, it clearly didn't. Now I certainly do, because the Packers had two weeks to prepare for the Rams, and even a bad team should probably be able to put a pretty good fight up when they get to play a team on two weeks rest and with two weeks to prepare. And most of the things that were bad about the Packers were still fairly bad in that game. And they were just probably masked by preparation and you know, one of their better efforts on the whole season. We should have come to terms with the idea that the Packers weren't going to turn it around by about then. Because even if they did start turning things around, even if they had played better They were in a pretty deep hole already. And as we know now, they didn't ever come close to digging out. The second big thing I think we've learned, that I've learned at least, by looking back at these games is that if you want to pin this season, the problems with this season, on one thing, which is probably not a good approach, but if there's one thing that you really want to blame for 2018, it's depth in general. Depth was a a problem at wide receiver, on the offensive line, among their pass rushing group, at safety, even corner at times. All of those positions were affected at various points of the season, in some cases throughout the entire season, by a lack of depth. Wide receiver might be the most sneaky one there because the Packers had two rookies who played reasonably well, but good for a day three rookie isn't all that great. And the lack of, I guess you could call it smoothness of chemistry between Aaron Rodgers and these rookie receivers was evident. And I know there's the entire thing that people argue about over should you have to earn Aaron Rodgers' trust or not. That's not really what I'm getting at here. It's just a fact that rookie receivers are not as good as people who have been around for a while. And other than Devontae Adams, the Packers didn't have any experienced receivers who were able to stay healthy on a regular basis. At the start of the year, they had Adams and Randall Cobb and Geronimo Allison, but Cobb and Allison were both hurt pretty early on and were not available for long stretches of the season. Jimmy Graham was pretty inconsistent until he got hurt and then he was just bad. He might have been bad a lot earlier than that, too. There were not a lot of pass catchers, wide receivers in particular, for the Packers to rely on. And I think you can see fairly easily those other positions that I've listed there, offensive line depth issues are obvious. Pass rush depth issues are obvious. Safety, corner, it goes on. And that lack of depth really comes back to bite you in a couple key areas. First, late in games where fatigue and normal in-game injuries start to show up, you've got to count on your guys deeper down the depth chart. It's just the way those games work. It's the way all games work. And when you don't have any depth, you don't have any of those guys that should be contributing in the middle of your roster, the middle portion of your roster, not the bottom third guys, but guys that are like second and third on the depth chart at all these positions, when you've got to count on those guys and you can't. That's a significant depth issue. This also comes back to bite you in the off script portion of games. Think like second quarter through the start of the fourth quarter. You're not running those 15, 20 scripted plays that you have that you've put in that everybody should be familiar with, and you're not in the two minute sandlot portion of the game yet. You've got to just execute stuff that you've practiced and Rely on your experience, rely on your veterans, and when you don't have a lot of veteran contributors, you can't do that. And that's why I think you saw the Packers' offense, in particular, go into those long stretches during so many games where they just couldn't get it out of neutral. It seemed like it happened every week, especially in the like second half of the season. They would just fall apart for quarters at a time, halves at a time. If you count the second and third as a half, I guess it is half a game, not half. You know what I'm saying? The offense just disappears. And when you don't have depth, when you just have to rely on Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams to get you through a half a game, that's going to cause problems. There aren't a lot of teams that can really do that with two players. And even if you can, it's probably not a regular winning strategy. Third, I think we learned in 2018 that the Packers' top end players don't scare anybody. This is both like top end salary wise and top end. You know, just overall talent-wise. Think about the guys that are really going to put the fear of God on opposing teams. Aaron Rodgers. wasn't that guy in 2018. He was injured. Yep. It just didn't play well a lot of other times. Didn't play up to Aaron Rodgers' level standards. Fair or not, I think that's true. He wasn't scaring a lot of people down the stretch. Clay Matthews, their highest-paid defensive player, scared exactly no one in 2018. Devontae Adams might be scary to some people, but a scary wide receiver, especially one who's not like, and I'm not knocking Devontae Adams here because he's awesome. I'm a, as big a Devontae Adams fan as anybody, but he's not like the Julio Jones type scary receiver. He's not the overwhelming physical talent. He's not the guy who could go for 250 yards in a game on, you know, seven catches or something like that, something ridiculous like that. Devontae Adams is going to rack up 10, 12 catches for 12 yards apiece going to grind out a lot of yards it's going to physically overpower you in short area type stuff and you can overcome that by just either letting him get his catches and shutting down everybody else or shutting down everybody else and force him to be the only one that Aaron Rodgers can rely on and just hope that he can't get open enough to tear apart your entire defense those are two fairly straightforward approaches for handling a big high-end wide receiver So even if he does scare you, there are ways you can neutralize him. Aaron Jones, as scary as he can be for opposing defenses, wasn't healthy enough, wasn't available enough. Kenny Clark on defense was great in 2018, but it's hard for a defensive tackle to do everything on his own. And it seemed like he was doing a lot on his own up front. David Bakhtiari is as good as they come on the offensive line, but... He's not the sort of player who's tilting the field for your offense. He's not. You don't have to scheme for David Bakhtiari. You just rush from the other side, I guess, in some instances. And when and when Brian Bilaga went down, that was pretty much what teams did. Okay, David Bakhtiari is going to shut down whoever rushes from the offensive left side. Let's just you know go after Byron Bell and Justin McCray and Jason Spriggs on the right side. That's a winning strategy if you're going against the Packers in 2018. As good as all these players are, they weren't playing in a way or or able to be used in a way that really hurt opposing teams. Finally, I think 2018 was good evidence about how coaching can matter. And the Packers got to see that in a couple ways, both one good and one bad. On special teams, you saw the bad. It's, I think, a fact that every special teams unit in the league is made up from guys in large part on the bottom end of your roster. The Packers probably take that to an extreme, but it's not that much more than any other team throughout the league. Other teams probably do better job than the Packers at filling out their special teams units with veterans, but I, I don't know if there's that marked of a difference between the Packers and everybody else. But knowing that you're going to be working with that end of the roster, you still have to be able to elevate it a little bit. Elevate those players. And the Packers special teams just never seemed like a part of their team that was in any way greater than the sum of its parts. It's just going to be a bunch of young guys who go out there and play exactly like you'd expect first and second year players to play. They never advanced past the stage of guys being new at playing professional football. A good coach should be able to get you to that point. But on the flip side, we saw how good coaching can help the Packers. On defense, there were a lot of parts of the defense that were not necessarily good on their own, but no one part, save for safety, I guess, early in the season, really seemed to just destroy the Packers. Sure, the secondary wasn't great at times, but they also played pretty well, and Mike Pettin put them in positions to succeed. Even guys like Tony Brown didn't necessarily ruin things for you when he was out there. He's a guy that you'd probably prefer not to play if if you had any other choice, but he was out there, and he didn't totally ruin the Packers' day, more often than not. The same thing goes for the linebacking group, especially the edge rushers. Yeah, they didn't have anybody who scared you, but Kyler Fackrell ends up with ten and a half and sacks. The Packers as a team did pretty well picking up sacks, getting pressure on the opposing quarterback. Sure, there weren't guys that were winning one-on-one matchups on their own, but through that schemed pressure and getting into the right place at the right time, they were able to get things done. Good coaching was able to elevate those units. And I think as we look ahead to 2019, that's what we should be hoping for in every phase of the Packers coaching staff. On offense, hopefully they can get a little bit more about the parts that they do have while adding in some some new parts. On defense, hopefully they take another step. Hopefully having some time in this defense puts whoever they have on defense out there in a better position to make plays when they can. On special teams, hopefully they're just not actively losing games for the Packers. That's my hope for the Packers in 2019. And I think that's the biggest area that they can improve looking back through the 2018 season. I hope you enjoyed this exercise. Uh, I certainly did, and I'm excited to really start digging into to the 2018 or the 2019 offseason as we look at what year it actually is now. As we start to look ahead to the draft, the Combine's going to be really exciting. There's a lot of good stuff to look forward to. But for now, that's all I've got for you on this particular episode. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter. Reach out via email at ThePowerSweep1959 at gmail.com. Give us $1 per month by heading to patreon.com slash ThePowerSweep. That helps keep the lights on here at uh, Blue58 and on the main site as well. If you'd like to literally wear your support on your sleeve, check out our Teespring store by clicking the shop link at ThePowerSweep.com. And as always, you can support us by leaving a review on iTunes if you'd like. No pressure, but it does help more people find the show. We do love to hear from you, however you choose to reach out. Any feedback you give us helps make us all better. It helps make this entire operation smoother and smarter and just better. It helps us all become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.